everyone, and welcome to Intentionally Out of Office. As we get into season two, I'm delighted to bring you conversations with people who embody the spirit of the Intentionally Out of Office podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Gary Kent is currently the Chief Financial Officer and Commissioner of Corporate Services for the region of Peel, which is the second largest municipality in Canada delivering services and infrastructure to 1.5 million residents and 170,000 businesses, where Gary manages an annual fiscal budget of over $3.8 billion. A thought leader in municipal finance, he is also the executive sponsor for the Future Forward Post-Pandemic Recovery Initiative at the region. He's a professional accountant with extensive senior leadership experience spanning decades across many leadership roles in local government, as well as within the private sector in the United Kingdom. He originally hails from Scotland, but has called Mississauga and the region of Peel home for all of his Canadian life. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Melissa. Looking forward to our conversation. Really so in appreciation of you being here today and having this conversation. When I thought about different people that I would most like to have on the podcast and really have shown me through their example the spirit of being intentional about your time in office and your time out of office. There were a few examples that came to mind for for me and some that I'd like to share with our listeners here today. Yeah, sounds great. So kicking it off, one of those stories was the very one that I reached out to you about. We're going back now to 2019 on the heels of the win of Canadian professional tennis player Bianca Andreescu. And the city where we both were working was hosting a hometown rally for her in her honor. And you were in a position there to either attend the rally, which came up very last minute, or continue on with your pre-existing plans with family. And for me, what happened as part of that process and just seeing you lead in the way that you did at that time was very inspiring as someone on the larger team. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about that story. So I'm a big sports fan. I think that's the first thing I have to say. So that will give you some clues as to where I spend my time when it's not work time. You know, I take a lot of pride in, uh, you know, and I own the responsibility of the services, you know, in my portfolio with, with great team members. and. Uh, you know, I was excited that, uh, you know, Canada had won uh, a major for the first time in, you know, a long time. And there it was in Mississauga. This was a facility that uh, had some role in bringing to uh, fruition. Uh, for those of you who haven't been to Mississauga Celebration Square, it's packed with festivals. And, you know, I think the capacity is like t- between 20 and 40,000, depending on the spillover. So part of my role, uh, apart from finance, you've mentioned that is uh, communications, you know, so this was a massive event at the last minute, as you'd imagine, for our communications team, but also for me, as important, our facilities team to make sure it was in the right condition, the technology was was working, that the political angle, lots of people were coming in and the government relations piece and also the security piece, because when you get a gathering like that, that's significant. So my style basically has always been to turn up at, at these things. And, and to be quite honest, even if it's just 
a rededication of a very small library. I would try and be there just so that the communications team would see me and, you know, valuing what they do. My dilemma was, I think it was at the weekend, actually, and my son and I, over the last year or so, we bought uh, Toronto FC tickets. And there was a big game getting played at the same time. Now, we had created that space as an opportunity. At least my agenda was to make sure that I could ask my son about 50 questions while we were watching a soccer game. He maybe didn't realize I was checking in on, on him. He lived in downtown Toronto uh, in a basement apartment, and he was doing well. But, you know, I was checking in. You know, then came that moment, what do I do? Uh, do I go to that TFC game that we were looking forward to and spend time with my son? Or do I turn up at this massive, uh, very public and very high-risk event to show my support for the team? Because I knew that they would have it all under control. And you know, I kind of slept on it uh, and I thought about it and I chose to go with my son. And that was really hard to do. I think I felt guilty. I knew it was the right decision. But uh, I kind of worried about what other people would think about me to some degree. I knew I wouldn't be missed, you know, but from a political point of view, but I did worry about that. But, you know, in reflection, I think it was, it was the right decision. And I did tell that story the next time I met the communications division because I wanted them to know that, you know, how conflicted I was. And then a line got in my vocabulary, Melissa, which was, you know, always make sure that you get what you need because the corporation will always get what it needs. Uh, and for that time, for that moment, I got what I needed and I just couldn't do everything. So, uh, and I, then I thanked them for a fantastic job. I remember that moment because you really highlighted for the team that there was trust for what had been in place. You had made sure that everyone had responsibilities taken care of. And you said in all those different domains, it was a really big event. And this was on the heels too of lots of games, Raptors games that had been shown uh, in the same space. And that was very popular, thousands of people coming out. But really that we need to carve out that time and we need to respect that time for things in our life that are out of the office. And if we have things in place, we can create some space for that and we can honor that and go forward with it. You mentioned guilt. Is that something you've become less guilty about over time? Is that something that has grown in you over time? Or has it been something that you've intentionally tried to do for a while? I don't know if it's been, I've, I've intentionally tried to create space for myself and my family, but it's changed through my life. You know, I'm maybe not uh, the same age as, as you, but, you know, when I was young, when we first came to Canada in 95, it was about getting your career established, making sure the kids were safe. And my wife and I had a, had a roof over heads, very basic needs. As they started to grow up, my time became filled with our kids. Like many immigrants, their friends became our kids, uh, sports, you know, or whatever activity, their parents and then, you know, life moves on. Then I become a, a soccer and a hockey coach. And for me at that point, it meant I had to leave work at five o'clock. There wasn't, everything wasn't as remote as it is today, of course, because you know what? There was uh, 14, seven-year-old boys waiting for me on a soccer field. They wouldn't take prisoners uh, from that perspective. But then balance for me at that point in time was I plugged in at eight o'clock or nine o'clock and I did my work. And then post high school, 
uh, it was actually my, my partner, my wife, who uh, our youngest boy had gone to university and she said, okay, we're going to join the gym. Uh, there was a pretty big one that um, located uh, beside us. She said, we're going to join the gym because all that time we spent in hockey and in soccer fields, if we don't fill it with something for us, then work will take its place. So I guess that was intentional. I can't take credit for that, but that kept me away from being able to work, which is good, right? Some people like it when we're not too plugged in as well because they actually need some time to themselves as well. So I think, you know, I've been intentional, but I don't think it was a plan. I think that was just, you know, how I coped through time. I do think now, though, through the pandemic, that there's a big conversation and it's a lot easier to talk about this from all of the different perspectives and the pressures that, that are on us that are not work-related. You know, we've done employee engagement surveys for years in every organization. And people always say work-life balance isn't working, but they always blame work. But life has got a lot in it. And I think we've been exposed to that. So uh, I think hopefully we're more empathetic now as leaders and as just as colleagues that there's more going on in people's lives than what they would see when they turned up at work. It's a really interesting comment about the work-life balance on the employee engagement surveys, because I have definitely seen that on a number of teams come up over the years where that's a top concern. And I guess we look at work as one block and life as another. But within life, there is so many elements. And if we think about the pandemic and some of the stressors that people have been put under, whether it's young children or elderly parents, parents in a different country, things not going as planned, health concerns, that has created a lot of change in terms of the conversations that we're having. And I wonder too, what does that look like in your organization right now? What kind of conversations are being had about how to transition now into this post-pandemic world of balancing productivity with mental health and employee well-being and being more empathetic? So it's interesting, we've just done a survey and, and through the pandemic, uh, we called the survey, How Are You Doing? Uh, so even just the title of our surveys has, has changed, it's become a bit more casual, a bit more frequent. Um, you know, I've been worried about, you know, as we've seen into people's uh, lives more than maybe we, we should, or uh, they've opened up and given us permission, we recognize broader issues here. You mentioned uh, trust earlier on. I think one of the things, and I work in a political environment, is I try and take the message to council that you can trust staff. You know, the productivity question comes up all the time. And I should say, how thankful are we for all the frontline workers that you that went to work every single day? Not just the visible ones, like uh, nurses and healthcare workers, which are obvious, but the less obvious ones, the security guards, the people who cut the grass in the parks, you know, they kept a, a healthy environment for us and a safe environment and police, of course, out there. But you have to trust we got the job done for the people who are working from home through the last two years in the pandemic. They're still the same people. So, you know, you have to uh, you have to trust us. But what we are hearing in some of those surveys are things like 
Uh, I used the word guilt. I'm not sure I heard that word, but it's almost a guilty, you know, they don't feel pressure from the supervisors to work long hours. And yet they can't kind of almost break the habit. They feel still, I know, pressured for some, and I, I can only think, yeah, and I think it's come, if it's not from their supervisor, then it's from the situation. Uh, to so we're we're exploring that and what does that mean and of course we try and model. I've got a little sticky note in front of me just now that says no emails after six o'clock. Live it. I have to tell you the first time I put that up, I lived it for about two or three weeks and then something happened and it went away. So there's that discipline. So I think we're talking about discipline. How to have a remote work environment that's healthy, uh, and I think we've still got a lot to learn about helping people find that balance. Uh, but maintaining trust is is critical, I think, as, as we continue to have those conversations. And I think, too, we've moved into an era of talking more about well-being and the whole person and how do we care for our teams? How do we care for the individuals on our teams? And so thinking about yourself, you mentioned not not looking at emails after six and, and trying to make that a regular practice, a habit. Habits can be broken, but then we have to get back into the practice. Are there any other practices that you try to do regularly? Maybe that's physical movement or social activities that bring meaningfulness and fulfillment to your life outside of work? You know, again, looking over the last two years, you can't help but reflect on the pandemic. Before the pandemic, I mentioned that we joined a gym and I also started running about 10 years ago and I was prolific. So even in my calendar today, every Tuesday evening, every Thursday evening and every Sunday morning, that's blocked out. That's blocked out in my, my, my calendar. Um, is that when I, you go running? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to, the, in the first year of the pandemic, you know, I was working out. Obviously, the gyms were closed, but mm-hmm. uh, I was basically exercising every single day for at least an hour, taking my lunch time, because it was the only time I could get away from the, the computer. And, and many people were in this position, and, but then working long, long, long hours. It was, it was my health check. Um, my, so the second year, just lost control. The fridge took over my life. You know, it became sloppy. So I'm now trying to get back to that. So I ran, I'm glad to know I ran my first 5K in three years in, in Oakville at the weekend. So Congratulations. That was, that was good. Uh, you know, some of the things I do is I talk to my mom every Saturday morning for about an hour, an hour and a half. My mom's 92. She lives in the same uh, house that I grew up in, 60. Uh, well, she's been there 60 years. I'm not saying I'm 60. Uh I think that's, you know, trying to, you mentioned earlier, with a lot of us uh, who are listening, I've got parents uh, abroad and this was the big, the bigger divide, but actually it turned into a positive from my mom's perspective where her physical ability was limited, but her mental health, her, her mental uh, sharpness was really high. And she got lots more calls from her grandkids and uh, relatives. And I think she even learned how to use his house party, we call the app. Uh, okay. at one point so talking to my mom while that relationship can still be there and I couldn't travel was always important when life is normal which I'm going to say it is now because we can't label life just now but I think it's now normal our current normal at least yeah our current normal 
uh, getting back to traveling. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and what does that look? So my, I learned a long time ago from one of my directors in Mississauga, they used to book their vacation. And as soon as they came back, they booked their next one. And we got that in our calendars because so many people organize events. That's a habit that I've got and a routine uh, that I do to make sure there's room in the calendar and I'm not letting anybody down. There's that guilt thing by me deciding the week before I'm going to go off for a couple of weeks. Big sports fan, as I mentioned. So I'm actually, I'm enjoying lots of podcasts. As I'm driving to work now, I can uh, listen in to, you know, Rosie Barton or the Scottish soccer from last week and just catch up and uh, understand and learn as I drive, but paying attention to the road, obviously. So those are some of the things I do. Love family time. Our youngest son's just getting engaged, so that's given us some joy, and he's fortunate that he'll be getting married when they can invite people to his wedding. It makes me, I use that word empathetic, it makes me understand more about people who went through that the last two years. There was a lot of life happening in the last two years that had to keep going, but it was really, you know, curtailed the experience that people could have. In a way, I think that if we were open to it or being present with those moments, that we learned a lot about being adaptable and being flexible and also sitting with people and not so going to say joyful moments, but in moments that, you know, people were getting married. Let's say people, someone had a wedding planned and then their wedding had to either be postponed or take different shape without as many guests and forcing us to get creative about what's possible within those constraints. So you shared as well. I love the story about talking with your mother on a weekly basis in Scotland and the number of people that maybe reached out to her using technology because it was available, but it was also something that brought a lot of happiness, I'm sure, to everyone involved. So I love yep. hearing I love hearing those stories of recognizing more about the complexities of people's lives and also then applying that to how we go forward and think about that for whatever is to come in our futures. Yeah, during the pandemic, as we used house party, I've got three older brothers and we had them all on the line with their kids. And uh, that's, that's, kind of, that's a rare event. That would be a funeral or a wedding in my family, not a Saturday night to just, you know, not a kind of kitchen table type of experience. So, uh, you know, not to put too rosy a flavor on the pandemic because there was some rough moments, but that's one of the more positive things, small things that you could do that really didn't cost money. I don't know if it was a story, but something I heard a while back was, wouldn't it be amazing if it was before our funeral that we heard all the nice things that could be said about us? And so your story there of sharing how it wasn't a wedding or a funeral that brought people together, I think that is a silver lining of some examples, sometimes that happened during the pandemic, because those are moments in time that now are really cherished memories because of what you created in that moment. And maybe that will be an inspiration for future moments too, to not have to wait for those more specific events in life. Yeah. And you know what? My my first great, no, my second great niece, my first one in Canada, was born uh, April 2020. Mm-hmm. So I saw her maybe three times from a distance in the first two years of her life. And it was only last weekend. And my, my niece lives in Georgetown and 
I phoned her and I said, hey, we can come and visit, just drop in. You know, we kind of forgotten that that's possible as well. And we just kind of celebrated that we could just, you know, she could hit me with the balloons that we brought her and do normal things. So, as you know, I, I say this as our normal. I guess we're still defining it as well. But I think your point is we have to remember the new opportunities that came up and blend them with the old-fashioned ways, if we can put it that way, and, and that will maybe help us as well. When you think about the next chapter that we're stepping into, so the next normal, let's call it for now, I know the region of Peel has a future forward uh, post-pandemic initiative. What does that look like to you? What's the, what's the vision there? You know, I get asked this question from a leadership point of view uh, a lot, and I feel that leaders of the future are working local government. So somebody could maybe argue private sector is different, but I'm not so sure it is from this point of view. I think leaders of the future need to pay attention more to the empathy quotient and, and to be a good listener. And let me explain that. I gave my thanks to the healthcare workers and my wife's and midwife. So she was one of them who went out every single day. The rest of us stayed in our caves, right? But as we come out of those caves, you know, society, I really believe, has fundamentally shifted. You know, with the murder of George Floyd, uh, anti-black racism before that, you know, we, we, we've known about Islamophobia, you know, all the different religions. We've seen the protests that are out there. Uh, climate change and adaptation is significantly becoming more prominent and that debate is over. So how do we deal with it? I think society has fundamentally changed and a part of that is mental health and well-being. Homelessness when I was growing up was that strange person who clearly must have done something wrong to be in that position. That was the kind of 70s thinking on because there was no education around it. I think leaders and probably everyone's just becoming more informed and we need to keep an open mind about what society really wants. So as a local government official, I think talking to the public, you know, becomes really more important. So I think psychological health and well-being is going to be a massive part of our story going forward. We know we're preparing our budget just now. We're saying, well, what do we need? You know, it's a commitment in every leadership team's, you know, top five because we're worried we're worried about what we don't know and that people know that there's tools available. Uh, you know, employee uh, assistance programs have been around for, for years. But, you know, uh, some companies are bringing in psychologists. Uh, we did it. I think we we're doing a better job pre-pandemic talking to our people leaders about resilience and what that really means. And I think this is the next layer after that. You know, remote work is here to stay. Does that mean one day a week, two days a week? Is that in or out? Is that hybrid? Yes, it's all of those things. And each organization will find its own way because there's clearly a demand for that as well. So interesting, you know, as we we kind of, we've got, I feel that we're special because us, our generations right now get a real moment to redefine some of those elements. So we better be informed and, and do a good job with it. So that's kind of what the future feels like for me. We have to re-explore ourselves and things that were normal aren't normal. Does that word again? Mm -hmm. But what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And really thinking about the complexity of people's identities and the communities we live in and the communities that we serve or your stakeholders in those communities and what is going to be the most meaningful going forward and how do we make a difference? 
whether that's at our time in work or if we're volunteering in the community or being a soccer coach, that can take many shapes and sizes. And there is no one size fits all for how we can build that into our lives. Well, I think we learned a lot through it, certainly the region appeal, you know, because we most often deal with the people who are most vulnerable. And with a diversity and inclusion lens, you know, how we engaged the public, I think we were saying, okay, well, what did we learn and how do we build on that and how do we do that more effectively? So, you know, I think we're still debriefing and all of that. But, you know, Melissa, I think having worked in Mississauga, you go from little engagement to a lot of engagement, then expectation shifts. They're going to continue. Those channels will be open. Um, So I think for those you know, organizations and uh, community members that we've really had more engagement with because we needed to know, like even small business, what's happening, how can we help? And by the way, the feds in the province were asking us the same question because at the local level, you're really much closer. But you haven't had that experience. And I think that expectation is that that will continue. Mm-hmm. But maybe maybe our, our old normal wasn't built for that level of engagement. So how do you reconcile those two? And so thinking about all of the different ways that we push ourselves forwards as professionals and the very intellectual nature of putting together strategies and consultations, how do you balance that with the sensory experience of life? Like, do you have a way to shut your mind off and then figure out how you're feeling so I sleep very well. I'm, I'm lucky, you know, I think that might change as I get even older. Uh, I know sleep deprivation is a massive issue in society. And I didn't know that when I was younger. So uh, when we were finished, I could lay down and I'd be sleeping within, you know, 10 minutes, probably. I think, you know, I'll, I'll say escapism is probably not the right word. But, you know, when I go to a sporting event, I can just immerse myself. And if I got my phone, I'm by habit just checking things and dealing with things probably, but that's the easy stuff, right, to clear off and it doesn't interrupt my ability to enjoy the event. But also I switch off. I've mentioned vacation. When I go to Scotland, you know, I'm inclined to just do some emails. But, you know, because the reality is, as I say to my colleagues, I'm sitting at my mother's kitchen table watching Coronation Street with her, so I can do that. But if I'm fortunate to be traveling abroad, then I just won't open my emails for two weeks. You know, I think you used the word discipline earlier on. I think I meet the situation and I I use my judgment call as to when I can truly switch off or I can just switch off mostly and then then work it that way. Although I can think of a couple of trips I've taken where I worked way too much and looking back, I wish I hadn't done that. But I guess I felt at that point in time, there was urgent things that just needed my attention. But I know and I tell my team members, you know what, honestly, we'll be fine. You don't, please don't check your emails. And maybe that's where I can improve a little bit to to disconnect more fully, even when I'm sitting at my mom's kitchen table watching Coronation Street. It's clear that you definitely have a reflection practice though. And I think that is the first step in figuring out, are things going well or do I have to make some changes? The other thing I do is I listen to people and if I see a good idea, and I've said a couple of times, I stole this idea from that director about booking modifications. That really resonated with me because my goals aligned right in that moment. And I'm quite happy to steal the ideas, uh, simple or complicated. So 
just there's that listening thing again that if we could all be better listeners, it would probably help us all. So as we wrap up today's episode, when you think about being intentional with your time, what is something that you'd like to share with those listening today? I think for me, you know, I need to take my own advice. I've spent my career, uh, as you become more senior, you know, more people reach out to you and ask. And, you know, and I really enjoy one-on-ones, which is the downside of the pandemic. So try and do it in a virtual environment. But, you know, the elevator is always a great place or, or the hallway. And sure, it makes you five minutes late, but the value that you get from that. So I think for me is probably to listen to some of my own advice. I mentioned earlier, I really feel the corporation and, you know, your work will get out of you what you need, but you need to really be, and I know your word is uh, intentional. You really do need to be, and I've never used that word in my my own as a reflection of myself, but I guess that's what I'm doing is carve out that time. Corporation will be fine. Your family and your one when it was so crazy for the pandemic. Uh, and then year two, and I think at the end of year two, I missed some family things. And, and some of my family members were hurt. Some of my colleagues were hurt. And I didn't pick up in that early enough. And I kind of regret that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I need to take my own advice and be even more intentional, I think, going forward. Well, thank you, Gary, so much for our time together. I know I have taken a lot away from it. So I really appreciate you being here. Well, thanks, Melissa. I've, uh, since we haven't been working together, I've followed you on LinkedIn and appreciate the videos that you post. And uh, again, listening and just picking up small things that I can relate to in my everyday life. So thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. 